Hi, everybody. Welcome to another week of No One Told Me. My name is Callie. I hope you're having the best Monday or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever day it is that you're listening. I hope it is just the best day. Does that work? Feels right. This is a podcast all about hindsight. We hope to cover the stories and the experiences and the moments that you wish someone would have told you a little bit more about. I feel like I run into that exact problem every election year. I feel like I'm uninformed. I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm afraid to even bring it up because what if my information is wrong? What if I come across as being a little bit of a hick and not fully understanding the ins and outs of everything that I'm hearing about? You know, one afternoon, just a couple weeks ago, a friend of mine mentioned every time she found herself in a conversation lately, it would inevitably go from a dialogue to a debate. Anyone else feeling that right now? It's like a harmless exchange of beliefs and convictions would evolve into this harmful expression of perceived dominance. Like, I need to win this. And a whole other layer is added when we consider where these conversations are taking place. Because it's rarely in private. More often than not, we can watch the tension build through a few simple scrolls. Or at the Sunday night family dinner. Or while you're just trying to fill up your water bottle. We have normalized having these conversations around politics. But the problem is, we haven't considered how to have them. In a time when divisiveness seems to be supported, many times actually encouraged, how do we reach a place where we can say, I disagree, but I'm listening? Today's guest actually wrote the book on it. I reached out to them back in July simply because I don't want us to be scared of these topics, intimidated by what we may not know or understand, choosing to avoid learning or educating ourselves because we think the only time we would use that knowledge would be in an argument. So what's the point? Knowledge is absolutely power, but... The problem is so many have started abusing that power, using it almost as a weapon, thinking that it will force someone into an agreement. Sarah and Beth host a podcast called Pantsuit Politics that's full of grace-filled political conversations. And the word that came to mind over and over throughout our conversation was empower. In the exhaustion of feeling like it's all too big to even try to make a difference while we're being targeted with more information than we know what to do with and our hearts and our brains are honestly just tired, Sarah and Beth occupy a corner of the internet that in so many ways makes you feel able, more specifically capable of making a difference. I'm calling this our palate cleanser, our reset button in all the chaos. I hope you love it. How's the virtual school going for you? It's not my favorite. Hey, Um. welcome to the club. Welcome. So glad to have you here. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it's, it's fine. It's just, everybody's getting worn out with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that includes the teachers because the school planned to do it as a temporary measure from the beginning. And so everybody's like, when are we done with this? Yeah, absolutely. But what we're living in fear, because our kids just started, mine just started kindergarten. So we're starting school or in person. And every teacher is like, we're going virtual by Labor Day. like Or not by Labor Day, by um, October. You're not. I've been starting. My child is on his third week of kindergarten. Oh, my gosh. For like two days, then three days, and now they're four days. It's going fine. Hey, what about that stagger? Do you all stagger start? And it's like, oh, well, we did, we did, we did an AB start, but now everybody's there. I mean, he has like 12 kids in his room. Oh my gosh. There's Henley, my five-year-old who just started, they did stagger start, which at first was, uh, you go one day a week for like four hours. And now this week they started every day from seven forty-five to three. And I was like, what are Whoa. you trying to do to our children? This is not helping them right now. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. But that's kind of where I want to start with you all. It's just your all's backstory, your family life, free time, favorite things, not so favorite things, all that good stuff. <laughs> well, Sarah and I met in college. We were sorority sisters. And our paths have always been kind of parallel. We knew each other, but not super well. We weren't super close. And I think the way that we got to come together really meets your question because we both went off to law school. I stayed in Kentucky. Sarah went to Washington, D.C. After that, Sarah went into politics. She'll tell you her side of the story. I went to a law firm and practiced here. So the first six years of my career, I was a practicing lawyer in kind of a mid-sized, large regional firm. I did not like one single second of that. And so I went to the firm after my first daughter was born and said, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I ended up in a C-level HR position for the firm. And I did that for five years. When my second daughter was born, I once again was thinking, I don't love everything about my career still. And Sarah had a blog that I read at the time about her life in Paducah and about being a mom and about politics. Basically, whatever she wanted to write about was on her blog, which I appreciated. One of the things I had seen her writing about was childbirth, which was really important to me. So we connected over that. And while I was at home with Ellen, my second daughter, on parental leave, I was writing more and just finding that I was more and more interested in like, what was happening around news and politics in terms of individual citizens' discussion of it. I had not spent a lot of time on social media until that parental leave. And I was just like, what What are we doing? Like, this is horrifying. And that was in 2015. I was going to say, how long ago was that? And we're still saying, yeah. what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, my concerns are quaint in, in retrospect. But I wrote a post for Sarah's blog called Nuance and said, I wish that we could recognize that if I post that I think um, it's really sad that Cecil the Lion was killed, that doesn't mean that I think it's not sad that you have cancer Mm. or not sad that climate change is happening or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. That I'm not sad about babies being aborted every day. Like, I just feel like we are always rushing to layer on all of these assumptions. Oh, gosh, yes. And, And so I was asking for, like, a little bit of understanding that I'm a whole person and that can't be encapsulated in the expression of one opinion. Mm -hmm. And so Sarah let me publish that in her blog. And that led her to calling me to ask if I would like to do a podcast. I did not know what a podcast was at the time, but said, sure. So you have what, three kids, two kids? So I have two. I have Jane and Ellen. Jane is nine and Ellen is five. And we're doing virtual school and we are we're learning to be okay with it. I was going to say learning to love it. And I was like, we're never going to love it. So (laughs) we're building our resilience capacity. That's what we're doing. Listen, that's the perspective that we all need right now. All right, Sarah, what about a little bit of your backstory? I mean, I think if you uh, told anybody who hung out with little girl Sarah that she was going to grow up being paid to talk, they really wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) I got most talkative in high school. I got in trouble for talking in elementary school. Yes, I've always been a writer. I've always been fascinated with politics. And so in so many ways, I went to law school. I worked in politics, like Beth said, and I was trying to figure out a way 
to take this passion for talking and talking politics specifically and talking politics with women, Mm. which was really important to me Mm -hmm. and put it all together. And it's like, now I look back and I'm like, this makes perfect sense. Like I laugh with my teachers. If I told you I was going to get paid for talking, would you be surprised? And they're like, no, I wouldn't. But yeah, I think that, you know, I've always been interested in, just sort of deep conversations and Mm -hmm. deep thoughts. And I've never found a really good partner, particularly through the business angle until Beth and I like had our first conversation on the phone. And I told her like, let's just see how this goes. And 45 minutes in, I said, we're not going to talk anymore unless we're recording it. I'm so grateful that we're here and it makes um, our lives as mothers, especially in the middle of a global pandemic, Mm -hmm. like in some ways easier and in some ways harder, a lot of ways easier because we have a lot of flexibility you know, both of us, our lives look so different when we started this. Beth worked mm. full time. I was primarily a stay-at-home parent and and ran for office in the middle of this, which is like a whole other podcast. But um, Oh, my word. I didn't know you ran for office. Yeah, yeah, I served a single term on my city commission. I won in 2016 and then lost my reelection in 2018, oh. which added a whole another layer of perspective on top sure. of doing a podcast about politics. But I have, you know, I, I lived in Washington, D.C. I knew I didn't want to raise kids there. So my primary reason for moving back to my hometown of Paducah was because I was pregnant with my first son, Griffin, who's mm. now 11. And pretty short order had Amos, who's two years younger. He's nine. I had a pregnancy loss and then had my last son, Felix, in 2015, right as we were starting the podcast. I mean, mm. Beth was on maternity leave. And I mean, both I, we have both have five-year-olds. So they've really like, it's fun to look back at the beginning of the podcast and see like baby pics. And now they're kindergartners. Um, I'm part of the, I was, I texted my friends the other day and said, oh my God, let's talk about how lucky we are. It's like, I'm part of the 19% of people in the nation whose kids are going to school full time. You know, I told somebody the other day, like, I feel like I could build a jet engine having like a couple hours of uninterrupted time to focus after months and months of quarantine. It's like when you have a newborn and they like sleep for two hours the first time and you're like, Oh my God, I just you think something's wrong. The doctoral thesis in that time. I'm like, there's nothing I can't do. And I love that Beth is just kind of like, hey, must be nice, guys. Your kids are at school. That's great. I'm so glad for you. I'm really <laughs> thrilled for you said, The other day she was like, I feel like you're um, really pulling a lot of weight right now. Is there anything I can help with? And I was like, do I need to remind you that my kids are school? And she's I, like, you know what? Never mind. You're right. <laughs> you know what? You're I right. retract that you're offer. Right. I'm not helping you Go at all. Go figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously, Beth, you even talked about this five years ago. You looked at social media and you're like, what is happening? And that everyone always adds an extra layer to anything you might say that maybe doesn't necessarily have to be there. But I think that is almost, I can't even put a number on how much worse it is now, especially in this current season that we're in leading up to an election that everyone has an opinion, which isn't I mean, that's not a bad thing. We we live in a country where we get to have opinions, but we see people continually end up on trial for their thoughts. You all talk about topics that most people will avoid because they don't want to start an argument. How do you deal with friends and family? You might have different views, but you still can have a conversation. How did you get to that point where you're like, this is okay to have an opinion and I can share it and it everybody's going to be maybe not better for it, but you're going to be okay even if you don't agree. So when we started the podcast, it was just kind of a no brainer that we have really different personalities, we have different perspectives, we had different um, orientations to like what the federal government should do versus state and local government or private industry. But we could certainly talk through that. And we wanted to just provide an example of that where the goal wasn't to tease out all the difference. 
but to just sit down as whole complex human beings and dive into an issue and see where we landed. Mm. And I think that's what we've continued to do. And I think talking to people about doing that has become harder Mm. Mm -hmm. because of that contraction around political identity. Mm. That's something I've noticed even with your all's podcast is that I am, and even down to like the Instagram stories, I feel like I leave better, which is not something that when it comes to digging in and finding out more and educating yourself on politics, it is that is a very difficult thing to say on any platform that you go digging into. But I feel like I know more and I don't feel like I'm trying to be convinced of anything. It's just here is something that could help inform some decisions. But how do you continue to have those conversations with the people in your life without creating that tension? I mean, I think the best approach is just not to view the conversation as sort of a standalone event. In theory, you're in relationship with this person and you're going to keep talking and you're going to have more than one conversation. And sometimes you will leave frustrated and angry or brokenhearted over something the person said. But we're going to keep prioritizing the relationship and not convincing the person that they're wrong and we're right. Like, Mm. this is not a debate. Mm. This Mm -hmm. is a conversation where we're curious about each other's values. We're curious about each other's news sources. We're curious about each other's priorities. And so if we can keep that sort of as our central focus, instead of I want to come out feeling like I own that person, you know, that's the, I want to own them. Watch this person get owned. I'm so tired of that phrase. I can't see straight. So I think like, just drop that because you're not going to shame them into agreeing with you. Mm. You're just going to harden their opinions if you try to own them. And so I think just taking a different approach all around and thinking about how you want the relationship to feel moving forward. Sarah, that you end up trying to prove yourself kind of like, I I don't know why it just all of a sudden turns into I've got to prove to you that I know more and that actually what I know is more right than what you know. And that even turns into where do you get your information from? I mean, we talk about having the conversations, but then you're just spewing things that you have read or heard somewhere. And a lot of people just they get so overwhelmed by the constant information that they don't even know who to listen to anymore and what reliable sources are. So when you all are preparing yourself for a recording or for, you know, your news updates, what sources do you lean into and that you are like, these are reliable? If you need information, if you want to make informed decisions, these are good places to go to. Well, something really important for us to share and keep referring to as we have conversations like this one is that The existence of bias does not mean the information is false. Hmm. So all news has an element of bias, even in just deciding what stories get told, what stories make the headlines, what picture is used to accompany the story. Like there's bias at every layer of the process. Absolutely. Because that's what our brains do. Hmm. And we want them to, because the alternative to that human bias is algorithmic bias. And that's not good either Mm. when something like YouTube is responding only to your individual consumer preferences. It's going to take you down a deep, dark rabbit hole just to keep you clicking. Mm. So I would rather have people making editorial decisions that have an element of bias in them than a computer making decisions that are just designed to keep my attention. So that's the first thing. The second thing is when we're preparing our show, when we're preparing what we share on Instagram or Twitter or anywhere else, We look at the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, CNN, NBC, ABC, you know, 
the existence of bias, again, in those kinds of outlets doesn't mean they're telling us something that's not true. They have a lot riding on getting the information right. Now, we like to see it across multiple sources. I don't think there is anything like a scoop in 2020 that lasts for more than 30 seconds. Yes. So if you can only get it in one place, then you need to be really suspicious mm-hmm. of it. But when the same th- themes are teased out through multiple sources of those big name, well-established media companies, we feel pretty good about it. I think that's (laughs) such a valuable point that you just made that honestly, it's never, I had a journalism minor, so I don't know why that didn't occur to me sooner. But it's like you said, they're not, they literally have to get it right. But I know there are a lot of listeners to this podcast in particular who, when I told them this is an episode we'd be doing, they basically said, I tried to understand what was happening. Like I tried to dig into it and understand the policy and the reforms or the inner workings of the government because they wanted to know. But then they almost got a little bit scared off by it because it went over their heads. And it's almost like you said, with especially with a law background, you all are so used to digging in and having to know the background of everything. For like the common person who has just been like, this is too much for me. I'm just going to live in ignorance. How do you encourage them to come back? I mean, kind of my approach is always like, if you're happy with how things are, feel free to stay checked out. Hmm. I mean, I don't know a lot of people walking around right now being like, you know what? Things are going great. This is great. 2020 is the best year of my 2020 life. 2020s working out exactly as I'd hoped it had, would. And so, you know, I think there's this idea that you have to be an expert So Mm -hmm. I would say you don't have to be an expert. Your role as citizen is just as important. We need people who aren't consumed with politics in the process to take the heat down. Mm -hmm. We need your perspective. We need your life experience. And you, you know, we can all stay cynical again. We can stay cynical and checked out if we think that is good for the health of our media environment, the health of our social media platforms, the health of our democracy, Fine. We can keep doing that. I don't think it's working. Mm. And I think like, you know, we're all going to have to step out with a little faith. Mm-hmm. It's not, there's not going to be a scenario in which the, the trust is rebuilt in our institutions without our participation. Mm. That's not happening. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. What does that participation look like? I mean, I know voting is the obvious one and you'll even hear people say, and I hear it more times than I care to say, my vote doesn't really make that big of a difference. So if I don't make it out to the polls, What's the big deal? Or they think the only thing they should vote is on the president, like the presidential election and forget the primaries. How would you speak into those statements and those beliefs? The first thing is just developing a daily news habit. Mm -hmm. So we're very feast or famine about political involvement right now. You're either like all in constant news alerts on your phone, scrolling Twitter every night to make sure that the earth hasn't fallen apart and you don't know it. Um, And it doesn't have to be that way. That's very depleting. It's not great for anybody. Mm. But voting, I think, will follow that daily news habit where you're plugged in a little bit one time every day to knowing what's going on. Mm -hmm. And that could mean you pick one podcast that you listen to, like a five to 10 minute morning. Here are the headlines. Sarah does a great news brief on Instagram that that could be your daily news habit. 
You could pick an email newsletter. There are lots of good ones to follow what's going on. But if you check in five to 10 minutes a day on the news, you will be convinced that your vote matters. Mm. Even if your vote is not dispositive. I think that a lot of times when people feel like their vote doesn't matter, they mean, well, it's not going to be, you know, 300,000 to 300,001. Yeah. So who cares mm. if I vote? And that's just not true. And even if you have concerns about electoral college and gerrymandering and many of the flaws in our system in terms of how people are represented, it still matters for you to show up. A lot of local races are decided by 10, 15, 20 Mm. votes. Mm. And those local races, the people whose names you probably don't know who couldn't afford to target you on Facebook every five minutes or have fancy yard signs all over your neighborhood, those people are making decisions about the quality of your school system, the quality of your drinking water, the quality of the roads that you drive on, whether a stop sign goes on that intersection where your kids play. So those issues matter a lot. You, again, do not have to be an expert on any of this, but being involved can look like just paying attention. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if a very small percentage of Americans paid more attention every day and then showed up to vote, we would have a completely different political landscape. Mm-hmm. This is a side note question. What do you do if it's a topic that you like take you by surprise when you're in the, the box, you're at the thing and you're clicking your answers and there's topics that you don't really know what you want to happen with? What do you, in those scenarios, this is just honestly a personal question at this point. What do you do when you face those topics? Well, the good news is I'm going to tell you what we told a bunch of college students it's not a test, so you can get it wrong, and they're going to let you vote again. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, we just need to give ourselves some grace. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're going to go in there, and we're not going to know everything. And we're not going to know the people, truly. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to me. I'm like, do I just need, because in college, it was the answer was always C. So do I just pick the third person and hope that that gets me, yeah. <laughs> gets me somewhere? You know, listen, there's an aspect of name recognition. You know, I think there's an aspect of Sometimes you go in there and you're going to guess. Or if you're not comfortable guessing, leave it blank. You don't mm-hmm. got to fill up the whole thing. They'll still take it. Gosh, that's such um, a, I always feel the pressure that you have to fill all of it out or you get points off. But there are no points. Yeah, no, it's not a test. <laughs> nope, not a test. I think like one thing that comes up that takes people off guard sometimes are ballot referendums. Like, do you support issue two or yes. whatever? And I think it's really important to remember that if it's on your ballot, it went through a whole process to get there. Mm. And it is going to often read on your ballot in a way that is not neutral at all, Mm. right? But it depends on who's kind of the controlling party in your state's legislature or something like that. And so if you have even a little bit of a doubt on those, I tend to vote no Mm -hmm. on like constitutional amendment kind of issues that are on my ballot if I'm not sure what the underlying facts are. Yeah. If you're not informed, then probably the best option is to just say no to it. Listen, let's let's bring let's not change the status quo on this. Okay. So I found this in the South. So I'm down in in Tennessee and I am realizing for the first couple elections of my life, I just voted in line with my parents because that's how they always told me to vote, right? So why is it it's easy to vote in the direction you're always told to or raised on, but why is that such a dangerous premise to start from? Here's the thing. I think kids following their parents is way less dangerous than their parents following some person on TV or the radio who doesn't love them. Mm. Like we That's true. The kids are okay. You know, mm. when we talk on when we speak on college campuses, when we talk with our own kids about politics, when we're reading email from people who are 14, 15 years old and caring about an issue, the kids are fine. Mm. It is the adults that I'm worried about. And so 
I think checking in on the values that you're using as you reach your political decision and whether those are values you want to pass on to your kids Mm. is a really good gut check for Mm. parents. How do you shape your kids to care, one, and two, to actually want to be the ones that make a difference? And I think it's exactly what you said. If it's valuable to me, then I probably want it to be valuable to them as well. Okay, let's dabble in some quick topics that people asked about that I honestly couldn't really answer because I'm still confused. Uh, Main example is the mail-in ballot situation. I know it's different. And this is what I'm trying to gauge. It's different all across the country. Like everyone does not have to mail in a ballot. No, you absolutely don't have to mail in. And if I'm being really honest, I'm encouraging people to vote early. There's only 10 states where you cannot vote early, which means you can come in any point before election day, after certain dates, in every state's different. It's usually in mid-October, and you can just go to your county clerk's office and vote. It's Get amazing. it done with. That is Get pretty it done. amazing. That's perfect, right? We're not overburdening the U.S. Postal Service. We're not crowding all together on election day. And it's you know there was a really great article about like going in early, or even honestly going to the polling place on election day is about as safe as going to the grocery store. We know mm. enough about COVID nineteen now that it's not a giant risk any more than like, again, a visit to the grocery store is to go to the polling place. Mm-hmm. This is not a karaoke bar or choir practice. You know, we're not yelling at each other's faces. So well, that's what you think. Hope so. It is 2020, right. Sarah, you don't know I yet. Not. <laughs> and so I think, you know, not only as a, as a young, healthy person, will I be voting early, but because I think it's the best way to not overburden the system, but also it frees me up on election day to be a poll worker mm. or to be some, you know, the poll workers are usually of advanced age and a lot of them are fearful of COVID-19. And so they need young people to be poll workers. Just yes. check your state's deadlines. But again, every, there's only 10 states that allow zero voting, early voting. And the rest, there is some type of mail-in ballots if you're still not going. If you're still not interested, if you're still concerned about showing up on actual election day, I love the option that you can go early and get it done with and move on with your life and let yeah. everyone else fight over. Yeah, it's spots. amazing. Yep, I love early it. voting is not getting enough love, man. It's such a good option. Okay, conspiracy theories. All right, they're everywhere. I.e. Facebook mainly. Yes. Did you all see that news release where Facebook is saying they're going to pay people to not use the platform? for a certain amount of time around the election to see its impact on the actual election. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. But also just in general, there's conspiracy theories flying everywhere. How are how do you filter them down to facts, I guess? I think all pulling away from Facebook for information related to politics and news is a good plan. <laughs> Stop going to yes. Facebook for your news. <laughs> that's right. Please go to Facebook for cute vacation and child pictures. And that's yes. all. Yes. But The second thing I will say about conspiracy theories, we had a really wonderful conversation with an expert on QAnon, Mike Rothschild, on our podcast. And what he said that has so stuck with me is, if you read something and it can only be explained in one way, Hmm. and that one way is fantastical, you know, it is not human error, it is not misunderstanding, it is... It is something that really requires a big connected story that needs like a chalkboard with a bunch of arrows, then that's probably wrong Yeah, (laughs) because almost everything that happens in life is the result of just basic human behavior Mm -hmm. and humans aren't great. Sarah says this a lot. Humans aren't great at coordinating with each other. Mm. Like it would really be a miracle if human beings could coordinate at the level required to actually substantiate these conspiracy theories that are floating around. Mm. So 
gut check. Like if you can only get here one way, then that's probably not a good use of your time. Mm. And the other thing I would say is, especially as women, we need to gut check on when something feels like it has been designed to manipulate our emotions. Mm. And I think so many conspiracy theories right now are being designed for women like the three of us because the kids are under threat. Mm -hmm. And they're telling us about the kids under threat in the fonts and the colors that we also buy like facial products from. You know what I mean? Like they're they are going after us for a reason Mm. and we need to be really attuned to that and skeptical of it. Gosh, it just takes so much awareness to step back and see that though. But I mean, that's, I I had not even noticed the colors and the fonts and all of that until you just said. And listen, it's not just conspiracy theories. It's social justice accounts. Like it's like a Trojan horse of design, Mm. which can be good and can be bad. But it, you know, it's, it's, it's exactly like Beth said, it's Oxum's razor. What's the most likely scenario? Is it that, Hillary Clinton eats babies. I don't think eating babies is ever, ever the most likely scenario. Ever, ever. That's ever. just a good rule of thumb right there. You know, yeah. I mean, someone put that on a pillow and put it on your couch. Mm-hmm. Let's mm-hmm. let's wrap up with this question because it's kind of a big overarching question. How do you think the current national dynamics between the pandemic, the protests, the just overall sense of confusion right now? will play into November, will play into those, or mid-October, if you're going to vote early, will play into the election season. Oh, I love you so much. I don't predict anything about elections, and particularly not in 2020 anymore. <laughs> no way. You don't want anyone no. to clip this out and play it back? No, it's like- just, it's folly. It's mm-hmm. total and complete folly. Mm -hmm. I do. I will say this. I think there is an instinct that because it was a big surprise last time, it's absolutely going to be a big surprise this time. And I don't buy that. Mm -hmm. I do think there's information that we can look to that is predictive Mm -hmm. and that we can, I I don't think all polling is a waste, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and I don't think, although I don't love polling because it sort of becomes the story. Yeah. You know, it's just that I'm, I'm not looking to become a predictor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. We, that's fair. We were asked to give a presentation on this to a room of a thousand people. And we literally titled our presentation. Nobody knows anything. <laughs> and it's and it was like and right I mean, before COVID hit the timing of that. Oh my God. But I think that's all we know that the dynamics are shifting mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not something Wherever you are, it's not something to take for granted that there's a preordained result here. Mm -hmm. But for anyone struggling to form their own opinions, what's your one piece of advice to them? I don't think you need an opinion. I'm more interested in seeing curiosity than I am seeing an opinion. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's perfectly acceptable to say, I don't know how I feel about this. Mm -hmm. I have a, you know, some experiences that make me see it this way, but I can see the other side or. I don't know enough or like we don't all it, it, it is not required that we hold a position on everything in American politics in order to start having conversations about them. That's what I want people to know. I would say don't put politics in a separate container from the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. If, if you wouldn't tolerate it from your child's teacher or a minister or your boss, don't tolerate it from elected officials. Mm -hmm. If you wouldn't speak to your neighbors in a certain tone about other issues, don't speak to them in that tone about politics. Like it's, it's not its own distinct realm. It is actually the fabric of how we all live together. And so we've got to stop treating it like it belongs in a, in a box where anything goes. Mm -hmm. 
All I have to say is that both of you, and this is the word that just popped in my head for both of you, is just how empowering you are to people through your your insight and your thoughts and your own opinions that you share, how you share them is just extremely empowering. And anytime I listen, that is how I walk away feeling. And even in this conversation, I feel the same way. So thank you guys so much for what you're doing, Beth and Sarah. We'll have some show notes to the podcast and the book so that everyone knows where to find you because I think this is just the tip of the iceberg for a lot of listeners. So thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love ending every episode telling you how thankful I am for you, that you would take your time to listen to what we're trying to do here. So if you loved it, or even if you have feedback, I want to hear about it. You can either hop on over to iTunes and leave us a review, or you can just DM me on social media. Usually I'm on Instagram the most. It's at C-E-Holla. And again, I love hearing from you guys. So make sure you either write a review or send me a DM, which always seems a little bit desperate asking for it. But here I am asking anyways. Thanks again for tuning in.